Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today, I want us to have a conversation concerning spiritual warfare. The reason why I choose to teach about spiritual warfare today is because I cannot help to notice the pain and frustration that the people, the children of God have gone through because of the wrong teaching concerning spiritual warfare. Most of which is important. And when I mean important, I mean it's not something that many of us have gotten from the word, but have imported from ideas and doctrines of men. The Bible has warned that in the last days, the spirit speaks expressly that men shall teach doctrines of devils, even as the doctrine of Christ. Men shall give to seducing spirits, lying spirits. And because of that, people shall be destroyed. Because a lack of knowledge is the same as the receiving of false information. Praise God. And so, because of that, the Bible says, some have departed from the face. And so you find people who pray a lot, they fast a lot, they go on every mountain, they go for every deliverance service, they have attended every prophetic deliverance service, every man of God who comes in town whom they know can pray, they've gone to every place of prayer, but they don't have the results of a praying Christian. 20 years, they're dealing with issues of barrenness, 20 years, they're dealing with issues of financial frustrations. 20 years, 30 years, they're dealing with issues of marriage. 30, 40 years, they're dealing with issues of pain and disease. And they go place to place and they're told, no, you need to pray more and more. Oh no, you need to find somebody to help you. This man of God you met last week is not deeper than the one who is coming next week. And so they attend another deliverance service and then we, our conferences have titles, Recover All. And so people go into the process of recovering all. But do they really recover all? No. And then from there, the next year's theme changes to overcome by fire, by force. And then they pray and know this time around, I have to break it. And then it doesn't work. And then the next year's theme, enough is enough. And then they start sending fire and praying and brimstone and nothing seems to change. Oh yes, they have wonderful themes and titles. But even the people which promise them deliverance, they themselves are in bondage. The Bible says, thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph. Why is it that we don't see that triumph in the life of the believers? If the Bible says he causes you to triumph and he maketh manifest the suffer of his knowledge by us in every place, it means that you are supposed to live a triumphant life in Christ Jesus. 
Somebody shout hallelujah. God is not a liar. God is not a liar. The Bible says that in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through Christ, Christ has strengthened us. We are supposed to see that victory consistently. We're supposed to see ourselves conquer every day through Christ which strengthens us. The Bible says that greater is he which is in you than he which is in the world. God is no liar. We want to see the life of a believer having a greater one within them than any demon or any spirit in the world. That's the life of a Christian. But that is not so for so many. Many people have not tasted the sweet experiences of God's glory. Do you know it's possible to conquer every day, to live a triumphant life every day, to live a life of progress every day? It is possible. It is possible. But I just don't know how. And because we are so deluded with the emotions that come with our worship, many people think that because somebody can pray for 20 hours or 30 hours, it means that they have results. Not everybody who prays for so long has the results of a praying person. And that's why I wonder, why is it that some people really pray so hard, but they don't have the results of praying people? They're supposed to show us that because they're praying and fasting every month and every week, and I'm not saying that I'm against prayer. No, I'm a man of prayer. I'm a man of prayer. I just don't believe in the life of prayer that is so public because the scriptures are clear on publicizing your prayer life. No, let the God whom you seek in secret reward you openly. He says, when you pray, enter into thy closet and when you have shut your door, pray to the Father which is in secret. Matthew 6, 6. If you read that from the message version, it says that here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Because when you stand before people to pray, it's very easy to be tempted into role playing. And there are many role players in the life of prayer. And that is why they don't have the results of praying men. And Bible says, but be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you, the Bible says, to God and you will begin to sense His grace. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. You'll begin to understand that the focus will get from you, the praying person, and it will get to God. Every time you are in the place of prayer and the focus is still on you because you are under the pressure to role play before men, the Bible is clear. Your reward is there. That's the end of your reward. You'll never go beyond the prayer of that one hour. And many people are like that. They pray so much, but they don't have the results of prayer. What do I mean by results? What do I mean by results in prayer? A story is spoken of a very great man that once lived, one Dr. Charles Price. And a story is given that one time a friend of his calls him that there was a woman which was dying in hospital with a stage four cancer. Stage four cancer. And the story said that the man of God was very busy and so he was not able to go to the hospital, although the friend which knew this woman was insisting that this man of God would go to the hospital and lay hands on this beloved woman. So there was a delay in going to the hospital. And then, you know, he creates time because he's doing it for a friend. And then he goes to the hospital and finds this dear lady dying. And they tell them that she had a few hours or a few days to leave. And so 
the man of God enters the hospital room where this woman lay. And as he was speaking to her, a doctor walked in. And a doctor needed to perform a certain exercise over her body. And because the doctor needed to perform that, the man of God tells this woman that, I have seen you, you have seen me. Let me go home and pray for you, you will heal. And so the doctor, out of courtesy and goodwill, he says, you know what? I can actually pause my operation over this patient to allow you to pray for her because we don't know how long we have her alive and the prayer will soothe her. And the man of God turns to the doctor and tells her, I did not come to pray for a woman to be soothed. I'm going to heal her and I'm going to heal her at home. And everybody's <laughs> puzzled and bemused. The great man of God goes back home and prays for the woman and the stage four cancer heals. That is results. If you were caught in tradition, you'd think that the power would be more effectual because the man of God is present laying on hands. Those are traditions. The Bible says that we make the word of God void of its power because of our traditions. Some of us are not in the revelation of prayer. We are in the traditions of prayer. Somebody shout hallelujah. We are in the traditions of prayer. And because they've been handed over to us generation upon generation, we assume that these traditions are the way to pray, but they're not the way to pray. Proximity is not access. I don't need to come to your hospital bed to pray for you. I've prayed for people over phone and they've been healed. And I've gone to hospital and laid hands on people and they've not healed. So it's not about where the man of God or the anointing is. It's where faith is. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Praise God. So I am so emphasizing, so emphasizing on the mind of praying with results than just praying because you are emotional. I've always emphasized this, that God is not emotional. God is revelational before he becomes emotional. Somebody shout hallelujah. And so, when they're about spiritual warfare, many people understand this from a very emotionally imbalanced place. Very carnal place, not spiritual, not alluding to truth and the revelation of God's mind concerning spiritual warfare. That is why you have prayed and fasted for one, two, three things and they've not changed for years because you do not know how to pray. That is why the disciples of Jesus Christ tell him, teach us to pray. In 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, the third verse, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Somebody shout hallelujah. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imagination and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now, here is what disturbs many people. When the Bible says that even though we are in the flesh, but we do not war after the flesh, many people don't understand that when we're talking about warfare, that scripture does not only mean that spiritual warfare is spiritual because it's already obvious that it is spiritual. Are you hearing me? It's already obvious that warfare is spiritual. 
But when the Bible speaks of not walking in the flesh, it means that we don't interpret warfare from our carnal perspective, from our understanding of the world, from the fleshly fallen nature perspective, from the inferior life of men. That is why he says that our weapons are not carnal. They're not carnal. And let me tell you the danger of this. Somebody reads a scripture like, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers in high places, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So when somebody hears that, that that is our warfare, they imagine principalities, powers, rulers, and spiritual wickedness in high places. They think, hmm, what is that supposed to look like? When you have a physical ailment, you go in the spirit and attack those principalities, and then you fight with them. You send forth fire, they send fire. You send brimstone, they send... You send arrows, they send arrows. You send spears, they send spears. You send the spiritual atomic bomb, they also send the spiritual atomic bomb. Then they think, that is warfare. That is why some people, after prayer, they are worse than how they entered in prayer. Or in fact, you have observed your life and you're losing more battles than you are winning, yet you're a praying person. You've lost weight fasting for 40, 60 days, one year. This has to break by fire, by force. My man must appear and you're growing older by the day. Even the fasting looks funny on you. Not because God is against fasting, not because God is against prayer, but you are not in the perfect will of God. You're not aligned in truth even in your prayer. What can God do for you if you're opposed to truth? Somebody shout amen. amen. Shout hallelujah. Ephesians 6 to 12 verse. He tells you how we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual weakness in high places. And listen, to the man who is going for war, God tells him, now, if you know that that is your war, wherefore, he says, take ye upon you the whole armor of God. And listen to what's in that armor. He says, guard your loins with truth. Are you hearing me? He says, in all of this, regardless of whatever is you're dealing with, the first thing you need to connect to when you're going to walk the life of freedom, or if you're going to go for the war that you must win, he says, you must be guarded with truth. What is the truth concerning your circumstance? What does God say? concerning your circumstance. Not what your witch doctor says, not what your auntie did at the graveyard, not what your uncle said, not what the witch doctor pronounced over you, but what does God say concerning your issue? Truth. Somebody shout hallelujah. And then after guarding that with truth, you put on the breastplate of righteousness. Your feet are showed you the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, you're taking the shield of faith. Above all, you're taking the shield of faith. Above all, you are taking the shield of faith that you shall be able to quench all, not some, not a few, all the fairy darts of the wicked. All of the fairy darts of the wicked. All, not a few. That means if you know how faith works, there is nothing that can kill you. If you know how faith works, there is nothing that can sink you. If you know how faith works, it doesn't matter how many demons are against you. If you know how faith works, it does not matter who bewitched you and how they bewitched you. If you know the mystery of faith, because that's above all. Yeah, you can know truth, but not know how to apply the wisdom of that truth. Phronesis. 
Somebody shout amen. amen. You can be a reader of the word and you quote scriptures, but you're not connected to the wisdom of the application of those scriptures. And he says, above all, you're taking on the shield of faith that you might be able to quench all the fairy darts of the wicked. All the wicked. All. So if you understand the mystery of faith, which is above all, he's not saying that truth is not important or righteousness is not. He's saying all of that is important. But what covers all of this to make sense for you? You need to walk in the mystery of faith. Somebody shout hallelujah. The helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word, the realm of God. And then he says, verses 18, praying always with all prayer. I'm going to explain that. Praying always with all prayer. He did not say praying always with prayer. He said praying always with all prayer. Some versions say all manner of prayer. Some versions say all types of prayer. So prayer has ways. There are many types of prayer. And unfortunately, with the books that I've read, some people have written, taken time to actually write, you know, the manner of prayer, the ways of prayer. And I'm so disappointed that many of the works that I've read actually don't agree with truth. Or truth cannot agree with many of the works that I've read concerning prayer. For example, some people have classified thanksgiving as a type of prayer. <laughs> you see? But biblically, that's wrong because the Bible says, be careful for nothing, but in everything, listen, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. He didn't say unthanksgiving. He says, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. When he says, with thanksgiving, it means every prayer must come with thanksgiving. So thanksgiving is not a prayer. Thanksgiving is a pattern in all prayer because no man praying in faith cannot pray in thanksgiving because it is done. But some people have classified thanksgiving as a unique type of prayer as though other supplications and intercessions and all the rest are different from thanksgiving. Every prayer should be made with thanksgiving. Why? Because you are sure that that which you have asked for has actually been answered by God. Shout amen. amen. I'll give you another example of something that I've seen erroneously taught in the realm of manner of prayer. Some people don't really know the difference between intercession and supplication. Intercession and supplication. We were not called to intercede for believers. If you go through every portion of Scripture in the New Testament, there is no intercession for a believer. There is no intercession for a believer. There is supplication for a believer. Because when somebody believes Jesus Christ, you cannot stay the mediator. Jesus Christ is the mediator of that covenant, not you. He liveth to make intercession for the... But you as a believer, you cannot be an interceder for another believer. You can supplicate for a believer, but you cannot be an intercessor for a believer, but you are an intercessor for that which has not believed. Because if you read scripture, almost everywhere that I've read in the New Testament, wherever there is intercession, it's for them which are to be saved or have not yet come to the knowledge of the truth. So intercession is for unbelievers, by the believer. Even Christ is praying for them, interceding for them. But when it comes to the believer, what we have for them is supplication 
Somebody shout hallelujah. In fact, in that very portion of scripture, verses 18 says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication, listen, for all saints. Supplication for all saints. And in this instance, his prayer request is that for me, he says that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. So we supplicate for believers. We don't intercede for believers. And what is supplication? Supplication is the place where by revelation, a believer can direct a prayer of favor over another believer. And that favor is not just in the provision of the physical things. Do you know it's favor to know? It's a favor. It's a favor of God to access certain graces of wisdom, of revelation. It is favor to come to repentance. So when we're talking about supplication, we're talking about the prayer that directs a certain provision of favor for a believer to walk or enter into the thing they must walk into. Somebody shout hallelujah. Back to what we were talking about. So after he talks about the armor of God, and then he says with all prayer, uh, supplication in the spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance, and supplication for all saints, and then he makes his prayer request. You see, even when Paul mentions the place of prayer, with the recognition of the fact that we must apply ourselves to the armor of God, when he starts to speak about all prayer, there are things that are not mentioned that are usually done in the spiritual warfare circles of the believers. If it was so important for you to pray a certain way, then definitely Paul would have mentioned it in the scriptures. So Paul is not against prayer. No, again, this is a man of prayer. I am a man of prayer. But why is it that when Paul is talking about prayer, when a man has understood how the armor of God works in the next verses of praying always, in prayer with supplication in the spirit, you see now the direction goes to mostly the believers and the purposes of God being fulfilled in the life of the man of God than it is with the challenges that are around him. Why is God's attention so much on the man's purpose? Why is he asking the church to make supplications for him concerning the gospel, his calling, and not the issues that are present? Because Satan has mastered the way of getting us so busy in the challenges and the problems of our time that there are people who should be far now in the service of God but they have been so engaged in these little small wars that they have lost the picture of God's calling concerning their lives. Do you know that the one most eminent evidence of a man which is free is their service toward God? The Bible says, let my people go that they might serve me or that they might worship me. If you're not serving God, it doesn't matter how much freedom you assume you have, you are not yet free. Because the true indelible mark of a free man is their service toward God. Somebody shout hallelujah. I've seen people who have gone into spiritual warfare for 30 years, 40 years, 
And if you go to audit their lives in the service of the kingdom, they have not really served. They are fighting where they should be serving. Why don't we take Jesus Christ as a solid example of a man who walked in the flesh with the Holy Spirit? Look at how Jesus dealt with men which had devils. Look at him finding a man with legions of devils. If you find a man who was so strong, he was so possessed by devils, he was so strong that even when they put shackles and chains on him, he would break them because of the devils that were working in him. You see the Son of God going to him and with the word of the mouth, the man is free. You see devils looking at him, beseeching him, at least send us to the swine. And he tells them, okay, get out of this man. He finds a man with demons and he says, what do you want with us, oh son of man? Do you not know that it's not yet our time? You see, every time he comes in contact with any man possessed by devils, they're the ones pleading of how they should go out or pleading that he should not rebuke them. And Jesus, with no strife and struggle, he casts them out by his own word. And in fact, in some places, he's bold to say, and never should you return again. And it is so and not otherwise. Why are we rebuking things that keep coming back? Why are we praying over things that have refused to leave you? You've prayed against this thing for 20 years. No, no, no. This is the reason you really don't know how to pray. You're praying the wrong way. If you are praying the right way, you will have the results of prayer. It's just that simple. One man said it only takes madness to expect different results with the same input. Some people are praying the same way, repeating the same prayers that you have prayed for 30 years, and you don't have the results of that prayer. For 20, 30 years, you should know by now that it does not work. And then find out how it works. Find out how it works. Let's go back and understand what exactly spiritual warfare is. He says, firstly, seek from thinking about spiritual warfare from a carnal perspective. Even though you admit that it is spiritual, some people go into spiritual warfare with a carnal perspective. Even though they recognize that it's spiritual, pneumaticos, it's of the spirit. And not everybody who walks in the spirit is deeply aligned to truth. It is possible to walk in the spirit yet in your most carnal sense. For example, sorcerers. They walk in the spirit. But they don't walk in the spirit according to truth. And so they're ignorant and carnal. They're dealing with familiar spirits. So yes, they have access to the spirit realm, but they have that access with carnality. Not everybody who accesses the spiritual realm is aligned to truth. Somebody shout hallelujah. If you've lived in Africa, you've been raised in Africa, this might be hard for people who live in America or UK or Europe. They might not understand this. But Africa was spiritual even before the gospel came. Are you hearing me? Our old grandfathers and grandmothers did things and walked in the spirit more than even many Christians can ever dream or imagine. Our people used to float in the air, being held by nothing. Still do, in Africa especially. So sorcery is deep here. You cannot act like you don't know what I'm talking about. But that doesn't mean that they are spiritual according to truth. Yet they have access to the spirit realm. So when we're talking about 
walking carnally concerning the things of the spirit, it means being indifferent to truth when you're walking in the spirit. I've told about what it means to live above the sword and below the sword. What spirits live below the sword? You know, demon spirits, fallen angelics, Nephilim and the rest. And then there are spirits above the sword which dwell in the light. Spirits of the light, like the angels of God, like born again believers. We live and walk in the spirit. He says, now that you live in the spirit, walk in the spirit also. So we're supposed to know how to walk in the spirit. Somebody shout hallelujah. And so those are with the angelics and the rest of the person of the Holy Spirit is in that space. God the Father, the Son, they're in that space. Are you hearing me? So, for a man to go under below the sword, if they don't go with the revelation of where they are in God, in Christ, they are actually walking in the Spirit carnally. Some people think that the spectacular actions of the Spirit, the demonstrative eh, experiences of the Spirit mean that people are actually being delivered and free. I've seen both screamed, fallen, rolled, even lost teeth in the process and they're still bound, dealing with the same devils that they had since you last met them. Because it's not just enough for a spirit to scream through somebody. It's not just enough for somebody to cough something. It should take something deeper than that. And you have seen them in our meetings. But you see, they're not free only because that happened. It's necessary. But that's not their place of freedom. It goes deeper. That is why when the Bible says that our weapons are not cunning and they're mighty in Christ. And it says they pull down strongholds. I've said this before. Where are the strongholds? In your mind. They cast down imaginations. Where are the imaginations? In the mind. They break everything, every high thing that exalted itself above our knowledge of Christ. I know Christ as a healer, but disease has exalted itself above my knowledge of Christ. Where is knowledge? In the mind, not in your hand. And they bring to captivity all thoughts to the obedience of Christ. Why should the thought be held into captivity because it can easily sway into another world of thought. It can easily sway into another place where Satan, the devil, familiar spirits can speak to an individual and bring them in bondage by rebelling them against the truth because of the things that they're hearing. But you see, there is a readiness in the next verse to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. What's your part of obedience? Agreeing with God. Agreeing with what the truth says regardless of the situation that you're going through. Let me give you a typical example. Somebody sends you a message and says, you know what, Apostle? I'm dreaming cats are chasing me. I dream that uh, cows are chasing me. I dream that uh, I lost my job. I dream that I went back to my old secondary school. Uh, you know, I dream that people are chasing me and they're trying to shoot me. And then, you know, after that, a few days later, I lost my job. A few weeks later, I lost my business. A few weeks later, my contract was canceled. And people say, huh. So when they go in, these guys who preach from a carnal perspective, they say, see, so why is it that when you dreamt about the cow chasing you, you lost your job. 
And then they build a doctrine around how when you dream of the cow chasing you, what you are supposed to do to make sure that you don't lose anything because the cow was chasing you. Newsflash, cows have chased us too. Newsflash, even us cats have come and bitten our hands and you shake it off and say, ah! Somebody shout hallelujah. Yeah, we've too dreamt when people are chasing us. We've too dreamt when bears are coming. Yeah, we've too dreamt when we've gone back in our village and our secondary schools. But why is it that we are not affected by those dreams? Because we know how to fortify ourselves, how to garrison our spirits from unbelief, how to shield ourselves with faith when the fairy deaths of the wicked one come. We know how. One time I dreamt of a certain animal coming chasing me many, many years ago. I don't dream them now, but many years ago, I dreamed a certain animal chasing me. And when it reached like this, I woke up. And when I woke up, because I know who I was, I jeered and I said, and I went back to bed. Why? Because I was offended that it could even think that it could chase me. I didn't pray. No, I didn't have time to pray. Because I know greater is he which is in me than he that is in the world. That's enough faith to undergird me. That is enough faith to keep me. Because that was a dart. That was a dart. That was the enemy trying to send it to see how am I going to respond when this creature is chasing me. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? When you learn to build that kind of life, you start to realize that even in your dream, you can counterattack. Oh, because your spirit now has built enough tenacity to know who you are even when you are asleep. Because some people think that when you are asleep, you lose consciousness. Let me tell you, it's so amazing that sometimes we are actually most conscious when we are asleep. Why would God make a covenant with Solomon in sleep? Why would God make a covenant with Abraham in sleep? So sleep does not deprive us of our consciousness. We are awakened, whether our bodies are asleep or not. But once you know how this works, even in your dream world, you'll chase them. Are you hearing me? And I remember one day I dreamt a dream and another beast came. Yeah, they come for us too. <laughs> and I remember it came like that. I don't even know where I got a hole. And I turned to that thing and I chested. <laughs> I chested and I chested and it went down. I went down the valley, went up, I went up and I said, I have to get you. Are you hearing me? And then I got to some point where it could not run anymore. It was breathing so fast. It couldn't. I got this hole and I cut off his head. Are you hearing me? And when I woke up, I said, ah, I'm more than a conqueror by Christ. It strengthens me. And you do other business and somebody the cow chases them. It even eats them. Can a cow eat a person? Cows chew grass, not people. So he says, I dreamt when a cow was eating me. How can a cow eat you? How fallen are you? You are a lion. Hallelujah. The lion of Judah lives within you. Somebody said, hallelujah. I thought lions eat cows. Learn to strengthen your inner man by the Holy Ghost. That regardless of any dream that comes, you know who you are. You know who is inside you. You wake up in the morning and you had a bad dream and you say in the name of Jesus, 
it ends there. It cannot enter into my destiny. It has no consequence on my future and it is sealed. It can only be so and not otherwise and you move on. But some of them immediately after that dream, they start now going to look for men of God to cast out devils out of them because they think if they don't rebuke it like they dreamt it once and they lost the contract, that is how so no. You did not lose the contract because you dreamt it. No, you lost the contract because you had a stronghold in your mind that the dream found. Your imagination was wild and that dream came as a seed in already a wild imagination. Your thoughts were confused and this attack came and formed a confused thought and sowed the seeds there. But if your mind is renewed daily by the reading of the word, to understand the acceptable good and perfect. It's amazing how things can come. You look at them and look away and you know that it will never touch you. One time I had a bad dream, the Lord is my witness, and I woke up and I told the devil, try and do that, you'll see what I'll do. That was all, that was my prayer. I dared the devil and I say, try to do that, you'll see what I'll do to you. Because I know who lives in me. Somebody shout hallelujah. I know who is working inside me. I know in whom I live, move, and have my own being. The problem is here. It's not what you've dreamt. The problem is here. It's not what attacked you. The problem is here. It's not what they did over you. No, the problem is here. Do you know who you are? Because the devil knows if he can get your thoughts to the place where they can disobey truth if you can get your thoughts to a place where they can turn against truth, then whatever he sows in your spirit, it shall come to pass. It's a seed harvest principle. Somebody shout amen. amen. I'll give you an example. Do you know how many people hear the devil speaking? And when the devil starts to speak, they enter conversation with the devil because they don't know how the devil speaks. For example, you're seated somewhere at home and then you look at water in your living room and then a vision comes in your head and you're sliding in that water and falling. You understand? And because some have not been trained to know how the spirit realm works, this a familiar spirit has placed in your image because he knows that he has no power to trip you, but you have the power to trip yourself if you can imagine it. You remember Genesis? Nothing that they imagine to do shall be restrained from them. So you imagine yourself sliding on that tile. Imagine it. The familiar spirit has created the image. And some people now enter into conversation with the devil. How? They say, oh, by the way, I could actually slide on this thing. Let me clean it so I don't slide. And then they get a mop. And as they are cleaning, boom! <laughs> they slide and they fall. You know why they fell? It was not wrong to clean the water off the ground. But it was wrong to see yourself fall and you don't do something about it. Because with or without water, you're not supposed to trip. He will send his angels to catch you from falling. Isn't that true? Yes, sir. And so some of you are ensnared 
because he has entered that part of your mind and planted the seed of reality and that reality comes to pass and you think the devil tripped you. No, he did not trip you. You tripped yourself by agreeing with the imagination he placed in your life. As he thinketh, the Bible says, so he is. As a man thinketh, so he is. So this is the right application of truth. You see yourself sliding, you say, in the name of Jesus, I cannot slide on a tile. Then you clean it. Because you want to save another person from sliding. You don't know where they are in their face. Somebody shout hallelujah. Did you get it? Do you know somebody can sit down, they are alive, they are not sick, and they play a movie where they are falling sick, they enter a coffin, they see their family crying, they take them to the village, they even see people who they are not sure whether will die before them or not. But already in their world, they have created some people to be alive when they are dying. Are you following what I'm saying? And then your mind takes you in the casket, they bury you, you see people crying, you see your children and your family, the devil is telling you. And then some people, after they just say, oh, then, oh no, 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 they've planted the seed, honey. They have planted the seed on you. At that particular point, when you see yourself in a coffin, get yourself out of a coffin and say, ah, replay the movie. Replay the movie where they made a coffin and you are not in it. That's called spiritual warfare. Somebody shout hallelujah. Learn to speak with your mouth and say, devil, that is so silly. Don't ever bring that nonsense again to my thought again. I remember many years ago when I felt sick, many, many years ago. And you know, I was on my bed there and the devil started speaking to me and he told me, look at these people. This is the last time you're going to see them. But thank God I'd known truth. Thank God I'd known truth. That's where some people now start surrendering to death. And they say, they start looking at everything because that's the last time they're going to see. And I remember saying in my spirit, I said, devil, I will see them again. Many years to come, I'll still see them. I can't die now. Not now. That's called spiritual warfare. You've done it. It's done. That seed has not sat in your spirit. It has no consequence on your destiny. Bury it and move on. But some people, a fire, 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 by fire, by force. Who told you that the person you're fighting even has an ounce of strength over you? Don't you know the Bible says that he was defeated at the cross? So if you are fighting a defeated enemy, why are you even talking about the thought of losing in this battle. Why is it called the good fight of faith? Why is it called fight the good fight? Why is it called the good fight of faith? Because you must win. You have to win. Why? Because you won long ago in Christ. He said, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. Don't think he did not know that weapons were coming, but he looked at everything that could ever come against you and he said, it shall not prosper. Now, you dream of an axe flying in the air coming to hit you and you go, Woo! you understand that? No, 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 no. Are you hearing me? Go back in the dream and catch it and throw it back in Jesus' name. Somebody shout hallelujah. That is why I can testify in my life I live a consistently triumphant life. I live a consistently triumphant life because I know who I am. I know who lives in me. 
I know in whom I live, move, and have my own being. I know what I'm made of. I know the anointing on my spirit. I know the energy in my soul. I know the revelation of God's goodness concerning my life. I know of the promises that are available for me. I know that God cannot lie. I know all of these things. And that is why I invest most, in fact, 99.9999% of my time in prayer. Loving on God. Aligning myself to the course he has called me and the ministry. I have learned how to block out any negative thought. Regardless of the situation that I'm going through, I have learned. In fact, sometimes I worry that I don't worry. You understand what I'm saying? But yet, it's supposed to be so. A believer is not supposed to live in perpetual fear. Because every time you fear, you're preparing yourself for defeat. So, people are not attacked and destroyed because of the dreams and attacks that come on their lives. Even the witchcraft, that, oh my goodness, do you know how much witchcraft is sent in the world? But it just bypasses us and goes on to other people who have time to take it in. We are burning juju every day. People bring sacks of witchcraft. The devil should hate us more, isn't it? We are dreaming of going everywhere, everywhere we can find a shrine and burning it. We have burnt shrines. That's our dream. That's what we do. How come we've never died for burning shrines? The very shrines, some of you even fear to enter because you think the demon will catch you. I've been around people who are so conscious about demonic activity. When they rebuke demons out of people, they start running and say, ah, you know, it might get out of somebody and get into you. How can you have that kind of mindset? And you have Jesus residing inside you. Oh, if that kind of person dreams of a snake biting them, it will really bite them in the physical. That's what makes you prudent in the spirit. You foresee evil and you deal with it. And the simple, the unlearned, the untaught, they fall into it and they are destroyed. So it's not what you dreamt. It's how you responded to what you dreamt. It's not what you thought. It's how you counterattacked the thought. If you think yourself falling into an accident, say in Jesus' name, I cannot. That's silly. Sometimes I even laugh. Some thoughts come to my head and I just laugh them out. One day I was in a mirror. Many years ago, I was in the middle of a business that started to seem like it was going to sink me, right? And so I was in the mirror and the thought came and the devil created a thought as this business sinking. And do you know what I did? When the thought came like that, in the mirror, I saw it just passing, going. And I looked into the mirror and I told the devil, it came and passed. It has no consequence on me. It can't even sit in my heart. Kenneth he had been told something special. He said, a bird can fly over your head, but don't allow it to build a nest on your head. Yes, let the thought come and let it just go through. Don't allow it in your heart. Guard your heart for out of it are the issues of life. But some people, they've entertained too much negative thought. They've entertained too much negative suggestions. They have too much negative images in their heart that when a dream comes, they are going to be buried. I told of a story of a woman which dreamt that she had gone on a marriage ceremony and she was in a gown and the husband was not there. Then she goes to a man of God and asks the man of God, why is it that I dreamt that I was at a wedding with a gown and the man wasn't there? The man tells her, you're going to die in three years. And I found her in the third year with stage four cancer going to die. 
And the Spirit told me, you can't do much about this. Why? Because she believed it in her heart that she's going to die. How many women have dreamt that kind of dream? Millions across the world. Have they died in three years? No. Somebody planted a seed in a gullible soul and she died. You're more than a conqueror. I said you are more than a conqueror. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray for all of them that are watching me right now in the name of Jesus. Like Paul says that your obedience has come abroad and to all men, the same we're talking about in Ephesians. And he says, and now I would rather have you wise and to that which is good and simple concerning evil. I decree and I declare that may God position you into the true revelation of life as you must live it. That your life is supposed to be a life of peace, a life of victory, a life of triumph, a life of joy, a life that conquers every adversity, a life that sets you ahead of everything and anybody in the world, a life that is worth living. For the Bible says that the enemy comes but to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus says that I'm come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I decree and I declare upon your life that you will live a victorious life, a triumphant life in the mighty name of Jesus. Witchcraft is far from you and godly dreams will not have consequence over your life. You will not lose sleep over silly thoughts. You will turn them back. You will above all build a shield of faith that you might quench the darts of the wicked one. You are entering a life of freedom and true liberty in Christ. Your children and children's children will testify that my mother, my father lived a free life and showed us how to live in Jesus' mighty name. Somebody shout, Amen. <laughs> Clap your hands to Jesus. If you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Just repeat this words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you shed your blood for me and was raised for my glory. And tonight, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. I'm born again. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Venero, make manifest.